Hey y'all. Um, these are going to be one episode of the Dear Writer podcast with all of the uh, Saturday posts for November in it. Uh, the reason for this was that I did a run in November where I did daily posts and every day was about NaNoWriMo. And uh, those of you who remember were here for it, it was just basically a couple of inspirational things and a fat orange cat to throw in to your NaNoWriMo thing. As that is over and highly repetitive, I'm going to go ahead and skip that for the podcast, give you the three Saturday posts that I did for November because somehow I missed a Saturday in there. Didn't realize that I missed a Saturday in there, but I missed a Saturday in there. And I don't even think it was the Saturday of Thanksgiving. So I can't blame it on that. I don't know what happened. I just lost count, apparently. Um, and because I had posts going up every day, apparently I just got distracted. So uh, we're going to go ahead and do the three Saturday posts from November. And then in the next Dear Writer podcast episode, you get everything's going to be back to normal with the Wednesday and Saturday posts for each of those weeks. Thank you so much for your support of Dear Writer. It has made all the difference this year. Truly, truly appreciate it. And I am hoping that by uh, January, because today, as I record this, it's Monday, December 27th, that by January, we will be up to date so that you will be receiving the podcast version every Saturday along with your paid post. Thank you so much. Have a great winter break or whatever it is that is going on for you at this particular time. And uh, here we go. The Chosen. I love what you are. I love how you try. November 6, 2021. Dear Writer, there's been a thing that's been happening lately. I don't know if it's menopause or rumble stress or that I'm working too much or not exercising enough or all of the above. But every night, somewhere around 2 a.m., I wake up and cannot go back to sleep until around 4. I've been going to bed earlier to accommodate for this, so I still get my seven hours, but still, it's fucking annoying. But a couple of days ago, I used this unwanted conscious time to listen to Glennon Doyle's podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. It was the episode on falling in love where Glennon talks to her wife, Abby, and her sister, Amanda, about true love and the one and all that jazz. It was an interesting conversation. Abby, Glennon's wife, believed in the one. She knew it was Glennon, and that was it. Glennon was on the fence, as I recall. By the way, all of my assertions here will be as I recall because I lack the fucks to go back and listen to be sure I'm correct. And here are some grains of salt for you to take my recollections with. And in the post, there is a very pretty picture of pink salt in a mortar and pestle with flowers. And it's extremely girly. It's very nice. I liked it. Anyway, it was Amanda who called bullshit on the idea of the one. And I was like, goddamn right, sister, because she's goddamn right. The idea of the one is really romantic, and I used to believe in it hard until a sociopath used the idea that he was the one to lock me into years of abuse, because what was I going to do? Live without my one? That's madness. Aside from that, I think the idea of the one breaks the love story behind the romance. If there's only one person on a planet full of billions of people who you could possibly love, that sets up a scarcity mindset, which leads to desperation, which leads to marrying sociopaths. And from the other direction, I don't want to be a person that someone is stuck with because fate said so. I want to be chosen and I want to choose. My current beloved is not the one. He is the person, the person I choose, the person who I trust and who trusts me. That trust coming after significant trauma on both sides is not commanded by fate. It is earned with work. 
Our promise to each other is not that we'll be together forever and always, no matter what. Our promise is that while we are together, we will constantly work to earn each other. And if it ever becomes best that we part, we will do it with kindness and love and leave each other better than we found each other. And I think, I don't know, because I've been so colossally wrong in the past as to be extremely careful with what I think I know now, but this is the healthy and appropriate way to see things. And that leads me to a deep sense of conflict because I love romance stories. I have since I was a kid. Part of that is because my family of origin failed to love me, and the idea of being loved was so fucking magical that I couldn't get enough of it in my books. I read romances and loved them, and when I started writing, I wrote them. But then, somewhere along the way, while doing one of the videos for Still Pretty, I landed on a realization that we treat romance and love as though they are interchangeable, but they are drastically different things. Romance is star-crossed lovers and Heathcliff on the moors. It's the rom-com run, grand gestures weeping in the rain, public proclamations. Love is different. Love is a little more ordinary, a little less exciting. It's devotion. It's knowing the other person's flaws intimately and accepting them. It's buying their favorite flower just because you happen to see it and you know it will make them happy. Love is honest and not always pretty. It's hanging in there in an argument until you resolve things because you refuse to let resentment get a foothold in the space between you. It's picking up more of the slack when they're under the gun and letting them pick up for you when it's you who needs the extra help. That's not to say that love doesn't find its way into our romance stories. It absolutely does. It just tends to take a back seat. Darcy spent thousands of pounds to make a wedding happen for Lydia to save Lizzie pain, and he swore everyone to secrecy so she would never find out. That's love. But what do we think when we think of Darcy? We think of Colin Firth smoldering from across the room and Matthew McFadgen in the rain. And I get it. I love that shit too. But when it comes down to it, my absolute favorite part of Pride and Prejudice is when Lizzie learns the truth. What Darcy did was organize an event. It's not that sexy. But it's a wonderful love story. Pride and Prejudice, one of the first modern romances ever written, knew the difference between romance and love and balance the two really well. And this is where my conflict comes in. I love romances, but I'm not sure that on the whole, they're good for us. I'm not slamming the genre. I'm questioning the culture it speaks to. What we understand as romance needs to evolve. As it has been for a long time, we've understood romance as the chase and the conquest. And we often leave the couple once they're together because we think that part is boring. It's not. It's just not interesting in the way romance is interesting. I want to tell love stories, all love stories, romantic and platonic, best friend love stories, sibling love stories, love stories between a person and their work, which is a particular emotional kink of mine. But it requires a shift in perspective for me because so much of what I believe to be love has actually been romance. Don't get me wrong. I also love the romance. I just want the books I read and the ones I write to know the difference and to prioritize the love story over the romance. Flip the current standard on its head a bit. So when next I wake up in the middle of the night, I want to have a pile of love stories ready to read. What are your recommendations? Everything L. Oldies Radio. Hey, Mr. DJ, keep those records playing. November 13th, 2021. Dear writer, Tonight, we're going to party like it's 1999. 
I remember one summer night in the mid-80s walking down the street with my friends and someone had a boombox blasting Prince's 1999 because back then you had to earn your mobile entertainment with physical labor. And we were all screaming the lyrics into the balmy darkness and laughing at the ludicrous concept of 1999. It seemed like such an absurd idea, a future so distant that I thought it would never, ever come. Yeah, 1999 is almost 23 years ago. And now it's almost 2022. Sorry, I know it's rude to bring it up, but y'all, it's almost 2022. I've been thinking a lot about time and reality and the nature of the universe lately, mostly because I have a story idea that is itching for me to tell it, but I can't because I have stuff to do. And this story is just following me around like a toddler pulling at my skirt and asking, can we go yet? Part of me wants to say yes and just go, but I can't. I need to have patience. I need to wait. These are things I have not been good at historically. If jumping the gun were an Olympic sport, I'd be a gold medalist. Once I've made up my mind that I want to do something, I never, ever wait. Now I'm waiting. And it's not entirely unpleasant, this very new experience, but my restlessness is growing. This morning, apropos of nothing, I told Ian that I wanted to move my office into another room and that I wanted to buy a new iMac because my second monitor died, even though, between us, we have so many extra monitors in this house that it's kind of absurd. I just wanted to do something new now because I have so many other changes on the horizon and I hate waiting. So if I can't have those changes, I'll take whatever changes I can get. But here I am, patiently waiting and moving through my year the way I planned it, and oh my God, can we just go already? At the same time, I feel zoomed up so far into the future that my head is almost halfway up the arsehole of 2022. Time is flying by and taking forever to get me where I want to be. But the research for the new book is soothing me a bit. It's just a little bit of leaning forward into the new existence that will come after How Story Works comes out and after I finish up the other fiction book that needs finishing just for closure's sake. And then I can actively work on whatever the hell this new thing is, which I think might be science fiction-y, if you can believe that. The world is full of surprises, and apparently, so are we. It's the end of the world as we know it. What's super weird is that, after all of these dystopian stories and the certainty that the end of the world would come for us in death and scarcity and hunger games, I'm thinking about the breakdown of society in terms of story world building, and it's an interesting idea. What if the apocalypse we've been preparing for isn't an asteroid or a nuclear war? What if all of this Sturm and Drang now is just us growing up? And when we do, in much the way that at one point we cease to be infants and become toddlers, it's the end of one existence and the beginning of another. The end of one world, the start of a new one. Look, if the timeline of the world's existence was expressed in terms of one 24-hour day, humans showed up on the scene at four seconds to midnight. Civilization came in at one second to midnight. We are babies moving from toddler to kid with one hell of a temper tantrum. That's scary and not without consequence. We're living that consequence, those of us who are surviving it. We're all experiencing loss, grief, and existential dread. A bomb didn't go off, but a bomb kind of went off. And there's no going back to how it used to be, which is a good thing, because this was the bad place. It's a new dawn. It's a new day. It's a new life for me. And I'm feeling good. While everything is going on now, with the world changing and me moving from an old life into a new one, although not fast enough, and with me putting my life's work down on paper and having it ready to go in the new year, like that's a fucking thing people do, I decided that now is a time for me to process my childhood trauma. Y'all, there is nothing in this world so hard that I cannot make it harder. 
It's coming on like a birth. I don't have control over the timing, but I need to get on board because this thing is happening whether I'm ready or not. My damage is protecting itself. In recent weeks, my body dysmorphia has been about as bad as it has ever been. My therapist told me I needed to parent my inner child, and she explained what that meant a few times, but I still didn't understand. Not like I was deliberately resisting the idea, although I was, but it was like I couldn't understand. Like when I was in astronomy class and the science got to a place where I couldn't follow because my brain just wasn't attuned to that kind of thinking. Yeah, that's what happened when she talked about my inner child. I'm perfectly capable of understanding what it means to parent the abused child inside, but I honestly still responded to that idea with, what are you even talking about? A response whispered into my consciousness by the damage that childhood left behind. Meanwhile, my damage is curling around the last little bit of dark, gnarled, weedy real estate that I'd left it, defending its ground. I'll figure it out, and when I do, like all the other damage, when I finally get the courage to stand up to it and tell it to get gone, it'll just disintegrate and float away in a truly anticlimactic puff of smoke. My damage has been very much like a childhood bully. It puffs up and gets all big and scary and says, don't come near here or else. And then I spend months building up the energy to look it in the face, and when I do, it doesn't even whimper. It just goes away, and I'm left thinking, that's it? But it wasn't the looking it in the eye that worked the magic. It was the months building up the energy to look it in the eye, which I did by facing the damage, little bit by little bit, until all that was left was the dark ghost that would blow away with one stern look. And so here I am, piece by piece, event by event, dancing the disentanglement tango with both my personal past and, like many of you, the old world that turned out to be a load of bullshit the one where it was necessary to work at least 40 hours a week to make someone else rich just for the good health insurance, and good is in quotes there, that would leave us bankrupt if we had the nerve to actually need it. The one where we were never good enough as we were, so we had to spend our money on products that would make us thinner or younger with more hair or whiter teeth, as though those were things that mattered. We all know that's bullshit now, right? The college education that puts you into debt for the rest of your life for what? To be a battery for the Matrix? A bomb didn't go off, but it is the end of the world as we know it. I won't say I feel fine because I don't, but I do see an opportunity for a new start. New starts are hard, but they can also be beautiful. And I have to believe this one will be, because here I am, with my head halfway up the arsehole of 2022, and I can't wait to get started. Everything else. Choppy thoughts. It's Thanksgiving week in America, and I'm not even going to mention that shit. You're welcome. November 27th, 2021. Dear writer, when I was in college, my friend Mike, you may have heard me affectionately refer to him as Babs, used to call my random non sequiturs choppy thoughts. And now, toward the end of Nano and November and 2021, and possibly the world as we know it, I thought I would not put you through another long essay wondering on the nature of reality and whether I really absolutely must have to continue to do laundry every week when the world is on fire, which seems fucking unfair. Instead, I'm going to spend November collecting all my choppy thoughts and putting them here, and then at the end of the month, boom, I've got a letter written and you've got something that you don't have to think about so goddamn much. Here we go. One. Dry shampoos do not work. Shampoo is supposed to clean your hair. Dry shampoo just puts more shit in your hair that needs to be washed out. So why do I continue to buy every different version of it, expecting it to do something other than make my hair, which previously was just greasy, now greasy and sticky? I do not know. Two, 
I'm 99.9% sure that we're living in a simulation, but every time I tell anyone this, they laugh like I'm joking. I'm totally not joking. Three, the only thing I'm going to miss about this house when we finally move out is the way Hermione will balance on the stairway railing and chase her tail without falling off. It's pure fucking magic in a bottle right there. Four, I'm a Gemini with Leo rising and an ENFP, and my love language is physical touch, and I'm a Gryffindor, and I'm in House Tyrell, but I can't for the life of me ever remember what my Enneagram number is. I've taken the test like five times. It's either one, two, or eight, maybe seven. No idea. Five. I have the worst luck with hairdressers. Once I went to a hairdresser who had a solo space set up in the basement of a local spa and she kept going into the other room. And I was like, okay, because whatever. I was 25 minutes into my dye job when I smelled alcohol on her breath and realized she was very close to pass out drunk. My hair was cut unevenly and I had to go to another hairdresser to fix it who was stone cold sober, but didn't fix the uneven thing. She just made it uneven and shorter. Six. In pie versus cake, it's cake. Totally cake. Pie is also great, but come on. You know, it's cake. Seven, I have two coworkers who I like very much, but who call me on the phone to give me the details about whatever they need instead of emailing. I mean, what is this, 1978? Send the information via email so I can have plausible deniability when I say I never received it. Jeez. Eight, the only recipe that got passed down from my mother is cranberry salad, which is this weird 1960s monstrosity with crushed cranberry and whipped cream and pineapple chunks and baby marshmallows. And my kids love it so much that it's been passed on to them. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. My grandmother used to make an offense to the body called pink salad, mixing cherry jello with whipped cream and throwing in a bunch of canned fruit. And I never even told them about it. That shit dies with me. Nine. I love cemeteries. I love reading the names on the gravestones and seeing the dates and feeling connected to the past. That said, when I bite it, I told my kids to dump my ashes in a biodegradable urn and plant a tree over it. Dead bodies in the ground is both creepy and unsustainable. 10. That said, there's a guy buried in the cemetery in my town called Isaiah Beach. I'm going to use that name in a book someday. 11. I have a waterproof case for my iPad so I can take it into the shower with me and watch TV while I'm showering because I literally cannot be alone with my thoughts ever. 12. People can and do change all the time, just not always for the better. 13. For most of the things in my life that I couldn't figure out how to fix, the answer was define and defend your boundaries better, except for the times when it was reboot the device. 14. I'm setting a new policy that before I buy something on a whim, I have to do yoga first. So far, I've saved $342 and have done zero minutes of yoga. 15. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life. The facts of life. When the world never seems to be living up to your dreams, suddenly you're finding out the facts of life are all about you. But I can't remember where I put my purse 15 minutes ago. See y'all in December. Everything out.